this thing in your life called cravings. Now, I, being a man, cannot sympathize with any part of pregnancy whatsoever. Let me say that up front. I have not been pregnant. I will never be pregnant. And when couples say we are pregnant, they're lying. The mother is carrying that baby. She's doing all the work. I'm done with that rant now. But in the grand scheme of things, throughout the pregnancy, women get these insane desires for all sorts of things. I can say that because they seem insane to me. They seem very reasonable to the woman at the time. Uh, I asked Melissa, what were some of the cravings you had? And she said, I don't remember. And then I said, well, do you remember me needing to go to Wendy's late, or not late at night, but later in the evening to get you the, the junior cheeseburger? And she said, oh yeah. Well, actually she didn't remember that one. And then with Isaiah, oh, do you remember all the fruit that we had to keep in the house because I couldn't get enough of it? I said, oh, I do remember that. And they were weird fruits, dragon fruits, other fruit, uh, mango by the dozen. And women have these cravings that until they get them, they're not satisfied. They can't stop thinking about it. It's all that's on their mind, and they need it. I've heard of women needing tuna fish. The flip side is there's also things that they can't go anywhere near, right? Now, again, this is only from observation, not from experience. But then something happens. They give birth, and the cravings change. Because now, for many mothers, they are the source of the craving that that baby seeks. They are the source of the pure milk that baby needs to grow and develop, uh, to develop and to be strengthened for each day that they go through. And you know when that baby is ready to be fed. Everyone in the 10-mile radius knows when the baby is ready for food, correct? We all hear it because in the same way, there is only one thing on that baby's mind at that time. I want food. I want milk, and I want it now. Not in five minutes, not in ten minutes. I want it right now. So how would it be for us if when that baby cried out, or that mother said, I need that Wendy's cheeseburger. Wendy's, it's another American fast food chain. It's like McDonald's, only with a different name. I don't know that it's better. Many of you might say it is. Whatever, I don't care. Uh, But anyway, when they crave that cheeseburger, those pickles, that tuna, that fruit, and when that baby cries out for milk, what if instead of that we gave them a spoiled, rotten cheeseburger? What if when that baby was ready for the bottle, we put it with curdled, spoiled, two-week-old milk and said, here, you should be happy with this? How do you think the pregnant mother would feel if we did that? Well, we may not be married anymore. How do you think that baby would feel? Would the crying cease or would it get louder? Because they haven't gotten what they needed. Yet let me tell you a secret. We Christians every single day settle for spoiled milk instead of seeking after what's truly great. The pure spiritual milk that comes from the word of God. We hunger and thirst sometimes for the wrong things thinking that's the right thing that will satisfy it satisfy us. And as we go through life, we look back time and again and say, I wish I, and we fill in the blank. And we always come back to the same thing. I wish I had just done what I knew the Lord was leading me to do. 
every single time we come back to that because we know his ways are better than our ways. That's what God's word tells us. This morning, I believe Peter was looking back at his life and, and we're going to focus largely on 1 Peter chapter 2 today. And as Peter's looking back in his life, we've told you the story, the arc of his narrative, one of his main narratives being the rock on which the Christian church was built. I think somebody's hungry in the back. She's listening. Well done, little one. I'm not going to name her. But as Peter goes, we see that God says, Peter, open and take out my word and invite Gentiles to be filled with the Holy Spirit by believing in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because I came not to just save the Jews, but to seek and save all who would call on my name. And so Peter goes out after he argues with the Lord at first. He's very bold. He continues to argue with the Lord. Uh, and he does it, and he goes, and he meets with Gentiles, and he gets into the habit of doing that. Then he goes to Antioch, and he hangs out with Gentiles there, and all is good until he hears that James, the very brother, the half-brother of Jesus, is coming to town. And then it's like, ooh, I can't be with the dirty people. I got to hang out over here with just the Jews because I don't want to get dirty. And everything changes. And Peter has to be confronted by none other than the Apostle Paul. Can you think of the fireworks that might have gone on in that room between a very strong personality and a very loud personality? But Paul just pointed Peter back in the direction of, what does the word tell you to do? That's what you're supposed to do. And we don't know what Peter responded in the time, but we know what he wrote later on. And so something in him must have changed because I want you to see what Peter had to say. And follow along with me. Open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be reading. I'm going to read all at once and then you can flip back and see if what I'm saying is true. I'm not making any conclusions on my own. These ones are pretty simple this week uh, because we're just going to look at the word and we're going to say, God help us. May we be that kind of people. So there's my message. The rest, you can follow along here. And, And of course, I will say some other stuff because that's why I'm up here. Therefore, referring back to what he said in 1 Peter 1, of what kind of people were to be a holy people, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Now, I want to stop there for a moment and explain to you what kind of sin Peter is bringing to the surface of his new church family. All of these slights, all of these sinful behaviors mean we are doing harm to others. Malice, the very word indicates we are wanting bad things for someone else. That's at the heart of that word. It means I want ill for you. I want you to get hurt. I want you to feel as bad as I do right now. That's what malice is. Then he says, get rid of all deceit. Lying never just hurts us. It always hurts other people. So Peter's bringing the people back to, one, remembering everybody is made in the image of God. Everyone bears his image, so let's get rid of malice. Second, we are to be a people of integrity. He gets to that in, verse, or in chapter 5 when he talks about the kind of people that are to lead the church and lead as examples of integrity, of truth, of righteous behavior. Then he says, get rid of hypocrisy. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We're not going to be perfect at this one all the time, but we're called to do our very best is to live as real Christ followers in a broken world, radically loving those even if they don't deserve it because we didn't deserve it. 
He says, get rid of envy. Quit wanting what everybody else has. I give you enough. I am enough. So let's relax. And then he says, in this thing of slander, this saying you're better and you're worse, that has no place in the church. And he's going to go on in chapter 4 and explain that all of us who've been given the Holy Spirit have these gifts that we have to use. They should be so full inside us that we can't help but give them out. And I'm going to unpack that for us as we go on this morning. So Peter is basically saying, church, get a hold of yourselves and remember we are people and we're in this together and let's get rid of these behaviors that can be so hurtful, harmful, and destructive to each other. Because if I asked the question privately of everyone in this room, myself included, I bet you most of us have been disappointed, hurt, or wounded by someone else in the church. But should that define us? No, because Peter doesn't stop there. Praise the Lord, Peter doesn't stop there. Peter goes on and says, and here's the quote that I was referring to early, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Basically, he's saying, so you may continue to be sanctified. You may be set apart for the work the Lord has called you to. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Is God good? Good. Yeah, good. He is good. And if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he is at work in us, whether we see it or not. He is good all the time. And Peter's pounding that into us. He's saying, remember this. Remember, you've already tasted, you've already seen that God is great. And while we await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ to usher us all into the very existence we've been created for, when that trumpet sounds like we heard this morning, we will rejoice. But we've already gotten a picture and we know that the Lord is good. He's already good. And he's already given us all we need. So Peter doesn't stop there. He says, as you come to him, assuming we are indeed coming to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. It's talking about Jesus. You also, this is cool, like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, I'm going to pause there. It's a whole separate sermon, but many times when we know that God's inviting us to do something, when we know that God's got something for us, one of our biggest fears is failure. And we talked about this last week. It's either failure that we won't be able to do what we think we're supposed to do, to which we're told that my God shall supply all our needs according to his glorious riches. He will give us all we need for the task that we've been given. Second, regardless of what people say about how we live, if we are in Christ living for him, we will not be put to shame. It does not mean that people won't criticize. Trust me, people will criticize. People can find something wrong with anything but our reputation is in Christ. And we trust in him with that. 
Our very identity is in him. So what people say doesn't matter. Yes, it can hurt. And I don't want to diminish how that feels. But we don't derive our strength from other people. We derive our strength from the living word, the very goodness of God himself incarnated in Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to give us life for all situations. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who don't believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble. Why do they stumble? Because Jesus came to save those who are lost, right? So why would he be tripping people? It's not what he's saying. Some will hear the very name of Jesus, know that he's the Messiah, and they will choose not to believe on him. Well, what is the result of that belief? Fall. The very fall of mankind. Sin, death, and eternal punishment. There is a result of not believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we can whitewash it and we can try to make it sound like it's not so bad. In fact, I just saw a commercial for a new TV show that's called That Other Place. That's how they're referring to hell or something like that. I can't remember the name. But they didn't even want to say the name because they were scared of it. But yet they've turned it into a comedy. There's nothing funny about hell. But yet people choose thinking that their way is better than the way of the Lord. And they need us, the church, to show them there's a better way. There's a right way. There's a way that brings purpose into this brokenness. There's a way that brings hope into this insanity. There's a way that brings rationality into a very confusing time. And that way might be a stumbling block to some, but we need to show him and give them the chance to respond. And so Peter is reminding us of that. But you are a chosen people. Let me read that again, just in case you missed it. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, those, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know this to be true We know, just watch a kid and you know that even kids have that tendency to disobey mom and dad and we know that therefore that's a basic sin. And so we know that there is that sinful behavior in us, but there's more because he's called us out of that darkness, away from that stumbling block into the glorious light. Who is the light of the world? Jesus Christ. It always, always, always comes back to him with Peter and with us. He's called us into his wonderful light. Once you weren't a people, not a person. He's saying a people. I'll explain what that means in a moment. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify him on the day he visits us. And I'll add a parenthetical, that day the trumpet sounds when Christ returns. By the way, we understand this verse in a few different ways because many of us don't actually carry a Hong Kong passport. Many of us, whether we've been exiled or not, we live here as not our native land. 
You might have come from mainland China. You might have come from the Philippines. You might have come from Canada, from South Africa, from the UK, from somewhere in Europe. You might have even come from America, in which case I think we'll be getting more soon. These things happen. We, we understand this idea of foreigners and exiles because many of us have moved around or even those that were born and raised in Hong Kong, almost all of you that I know in our church family have lived somewhere else at some point in time. We know what it's like to feel like a foreigner. And Peter's reminding us that that's what we are on this earth. Our citizenship has nothing to do with what our passport says. Now, you need that to move around the world. Don't, don't leave that behind. Just ask me about Macau and see how that went sometime. Got me a free ride back to Hong Kong. We need our passports. But much more, we need to understand that for those in Christ, our citizenship is in heaven. Our identity is in Christ. And our power is the working of the Holy Spirit. Not for me, a blue passport with an eagle on the front cover. Those things are great, but that's not my identity. So what do we do with this? Well, we start by understanding that these verses uh, relate us back to verse, chapter 1, verse 22. Since the believers had been purified, they needed to stop those things which negatively affected their relationship with God and with other people, Right? Most of us would agree with that. If we want to live the right way, we need to stop those behaviors that prevent us for, from that, right? For instance, if you get engaged and commit to a monogamous marriage relationship, you can't be dating other people, can you? It does not work. In the same way and even bigger, we, the bride of Christ, can't date Christ on the side, and then do everything else we want over here. It does not work. We are his bride, his chosen possession, and we are called to crave growing up in him. Now, I am a parent of ever-aging kids. I'm amazed at how fast they grow, as I think every parent in the world says. They're growing up. In the same way, we, the church, are to be growing up in Christ. What does that look like? What does it mean? Well, Peter tells us. He said, first, and we've already talked about this, so I won't come back to it too much. Rid yourself. Eliminate. Get rid of all malice, deceit. I just use those two because the others can fall into those categories. Slander and envy as well. Get rid of these things. You don't need them. There's no place for them in the church. Why? Because throughout the scriptures, we learn that God's people were to be a people that did a few specific functions. One of them was to encourage and exhort each other while it's still called today. Well, since every day is called today, when are we to encourage and exhort one another? Every day. That does not include malice, envy, and slander and deceit. Those things are encouraging to no one. And so Peter says, get rid of those. It'll take work. Growing up is hard work. Just remember what it was like to be a teenager. You remember that? Some of you blocked that out of your memory because you didn't like that stage of life. But now you're saying, I want to grow up. And how do we grow? Well, we have to learn. It's one of the things we didn't like about being a teenager it was all the school we had to go to and all the work we had to do. It doesn't just come because we wish upon a star or we sleep with our Bible or textbook under our bed. I'm sorry. I know we wish it was that way, 
but it does take attention on our end. It takes us enjoying the very goodness of God. Where do we find out how to do that? Right here and right here. Those are the primary ways for us to enjoy the goodness of God. First, the very word of God. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It is also useful for teaching, for encouraging, for the word that I learned in the olden days was reproof. In other words, for correcting us. Sometimes we ask, what am I supposed to do in this situation? And I'm a frustrating counselor because often the next question I ask is, well, what does God's word tell us? And that makes me unpopular at times. Because I believe the word of God is useful in all situations. And I believe we end up in relationships and situations that we know better. And so we're looking for justification to get out of. And please don't think that I'm any better. I've tried that too. But to enjoy the goodness of God, we have to take him at his word. We have to say, I believe, God, what you've said is true. And I'm not just going to believe it, but I'm going to live it. And then I'm going to do it with other people. We can't do this alone. We're not created to do this alone. If you happen to read this week's newsletter, that's one of the main things we talked about. We were not created to walk through life alone. We were created to be light as a community of God, as a people of God, not a person of God. It's difference. So that we can enjoy the goodness of God together. That as we proclaim his goodness, what happens to others? We'll read down in your verses and you'll see verses 11 and 12. So when you proclaim the very goodness of God and his greatness... Others, even if they criticize you, will see the glory of God in you and rejoice and give glory to God our Father who is in heaven. That's the job of the church. So we are invited to enjoy the very goodness of God so that others can see that. If others see us criticizing everything all the time, if others see us being negative all the time, talking about each other negatively all the time, What in that situation would make them want our God? Now, the Holy Spirit can work in spite of our flaws. Absolutely, he does it every day. But let me ask you, when you go into work or into your situations, and if people hear that you've been to church and you're nothing but negative, we got the carpet colors wrong, we didn't sing the right songs, this person said this, this person did that, Pastor Mike was really boring and went too long, all these things... What on earth of those statements points people to the glory of God? What if those very people we walked alongside every day saw something in us differently that said, I can't wait to be with my family, my heavenly family. I love them. And we're walking through some hard things. Maybe they just need to see us admit that it's hard for Christians too. That when we read of multiple shootings in Germany, it breaks our heart too and we don't understand why this is happening. Instead of just passing it off, God has a purpose for this. He does, but that doesn't always make us feel better. What if instead we said, let's just talk about this and reason together something else Peter had to say. Enjoying the goodness of God means showing him to a broken world. Peter goes on, and this is what I've already said, let others see what we do and glorify God because of what he's doing in us. 
It's my prayer over the next year that every Sunday I can come up and I can bring someone on stage with me or put it up on a video if you've got stage fright, no problem, many do, and ask you the same question. How have you seen God at work in your life this week? And you could answer. Why? Because he's always at work in big and small ways. Let me give you an example. Um, And I can't use names because I forgot to ask permission ahead of time, so sorry, mister. But many of you will notice that my car does not look like a car should look currently, if you know which one I drive. If not, look for the one that's all broken and dented. Because I, well, me and a taxi had a difference of opinion over where you should stop in a road. I thought a double line was not a good place to stop. He thought it was fine. Anyway, that's not the point of the story. The next day, or not the next day, a couple weeks later, or a week later, it's only been a week, it just feels like forever. I turned on, we have two vehicles, they're old, and that's why, because they're cheap to operate, and we want to be frugal, (laughs) but they also break down more. And I turned the key of the other car to come in to preach at at our Saturday fellowship yesterday. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Nothing again. Now I'm late, it's 40 degrees, and I've got to run. How am I going to get to church in time? I've got to do this, 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 this. I've got to do all these things. God, what are you trying to tell me? God, why is Satan attacking? What is so important that I'm going to say this morning that's different? Well, I'm proclaiming the glory of God, and Satan doesn't want that. So I just prayed, Lord. And then a few minutes later, I got the cost of what it was going to cost to fix my damaged car and it's not worth fixing so we've got to scrap it because it's just more money than we should put into an old 15 year old car and so I was like okay Lord you've got this but I have no idea what you're going to do so I came down I had a great morning with our Saturday group and if you've never come to the Saturday group you should it is so much fun and I love being with them and if you're part of the Saturday group thank you you bring joy to my heart And I just prayed, and I didn't say any of this to them because it was too fresh and raw. And I got a phone call from a friend saying, hey, I'm leaving. Melissa tells me that your cars aren't working. Why don't you just drive mine while I'm gone? I hadn't even known to ask God to provide in that way, and he took care of it. He knew, not just so that I could be taken care of. There's this thing called public transport. We would be just fine. But God wanted me to give glory to our God and Father who is in heaven and say, when his people get together, God can provide in miraculous ways. Do we believe that? Do we believe that this people can help each other in our times of need, even when we don't think anybody knows of our time of need? I had zero intention of telling you about our broken cars. That's life. It happens to all of us. Things break, things go wrong. But God has not forgotten his people. And he cares for us when we don't even know what to ask. But you, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love that the English Standard Version translated it in such a powerful and big way. Because we get this picture How we live proclaims the excellencies of all of God. Let me say that again. How we live proclaims the excellencies of God. So how do we live? Well, let me tell you, and then we'll finish up. 
we got to know who we are in Christ. I've talked about this before, but today I'm going to hammer it home and, and remind you just who you are. And this is my favorite thing to do in the church because it reminds us of who we are even if we don't believe it. Because here's what, where we get to. Most people say, I can't because I'm not. You ever said that to somebody in the church? I couldn't possibly do this because I'm not ready, because I'm not qualified, because I don't have the right skills, because I don't have time, because I, and we like that one, because I don't have, because I could not, because, well, listen to what God says instead of all the things we're not. He says that we, which by the way, just like Jesus, start there for a minute. Because we carry his righteousness, we are like Jesus. How cool is that? I'm like Jesus. By the way, that's what my name means. I'm like God. So don't ever let me get arrogant because I am a failure every day. But my very name means to remind me that I am a chosen person. (laughs) And that I have been called to be a living stone. What is God doing through, the people, through his people? He's building a house that the world can see that God dwells among his people and is at work among his people. Can Pastor Mike do everything on his own? No, but I'm one of the rocks that can build the church. And so are you. How cool is that? It's not about Mike. Yeah, I'll get up here and do this most weeks. That's fine. And I love it. But you are the ones that I can come to for advice. And many of you do. I know who to call when it comes to all sorts of different things, from medical conditions to contracting issues to needing really good wisdom to needing financial advice to needing administrative advice to needing what do we do with our kids to, you know, you name it. And I can go to our church family and ask for help. What if instead of Mike having to ask, we pushed out to give away that help? Some of you do that. Many of you are waiting for someone to ask. And this verse right here says, you're a living stone. That living stone means you're already part of the building. So do your job. Keep building the building. You're one of those bricks. Peter doesn't stop. He says, you're being built into a spiritual house. We need to understand how this works because it's in a different tense. It's being built. It's in a more active tense. It's something that's continually happening. It's not passive. It's not something that's already been done. It's continually happening. You know what that's called? It's a word I like to teach every month or so. Sanctification. Being set apart for God's work as his people. Let me say that again. Sanctified Christians are those that are living, that's saying, here is my life, take it, Lord, it's all yours, and I know that you're continuing to make me more like your son, Jesus Christ. I know that you're not done with me yet, but I'm not content, and I know I'm not supposed to stay right where I am. I'm supposed to continue to grow and crave pure spiritual milk. Now then, Paul changes that analogy later on and says, don't just hang out on spiritual milk forever, Get the solid foods. Keep growing up and chew on the good stuff. We need all of it as pure followers. We need to continue to develop. You may notice that we as a church are learning new things each week. That's what we're supposed to do. And how we do that is as a people. Then he goes on and he says, we are 
a holy and royal priesthood. The original translation goes back, and Peter in all of these things is using Old Testament references to bring us back. And in Exodus, uh, what he meant in Exodus 19.6 was we are the priests of the king. We very much are in the service of the king to be holy and pure, to show others how they can have access to God the Father who is in heaven through Jesus Christ. What does a royal priesthood today do? Show people there is a way to God the Father through Jesus the Son. That's our job. That's what making disciples is all about. Showing people, everyone, they can have access and we can show them how. Remember, in the Old Testament, only the priests could go in and offer sacrifices on our behalf. Well, Jesus took care of that. He, the great high priest, in the order of Melchizedek, Melchizedek, read Hebrews, he was the ultimate sacrifice once for all so that we are now a people carrying his very righteousness around, just like what we read this morning to start our service. The king's priests, and every believer is a priest, but here we the people are a priesthood. We're walking together just like the Levites did. Remember in the Old Testament, the Levites didn't ever get an inheritance in earth. They never got their own land. They never got their own stuff because God's people were meant to provide for them and their inheritance was to be eternal. Move forward to today. We, the royal priesthood, aren't supposed to be building up our treasures here on earth because this is not where our inheritance lays. Our inheritance, just like our citizenship, is in heaven. And the kingdom we are to build, the access we're inviting people into, is in heaven. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that encouraging? Maybe a little scary. You've got to go tell people about Jesus? Yes. I read a statistic about the American church this week that said 90% of professing believers in Jesus Christ have never told anyone about Jesus Christ. 90%. To put another way, that's one out of every 10. To put another way, that's really, really big failure. You know, if we joke in Hong Kong about failing being anything lower than a 95%, we're really doing poorly in America. And I don't think America's the only place. It's just the newspapers I read. Finally, we're a holy nation, also from Exodus, and also re- referenced in, Acts, er, in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 2, 4. Holy characterizes our unique relationship with God because we've been set apart. We have a different relationship with God than those that have not yet believed on Him. We have access to Him. We have power through and in Him that the rest of the world outside of Jesus Christ does not have. And we've been set apart to serve Him. We are a nation, a very people dedicated to God. We carry the very name of God with us wherever we go. That's who we're to be. And then what about the next one? God's own people, a chosen people. What does that mean? Well, it means that we're his special possession. It means that we've been adopted into the family in such a way as he went down and he chased after us the only way we could be captured. 
through his son giving of his life, his own flesh and blood, giving himself so that we might be engrafted, we might be adopted into the family. And sometimes people might want to say, but Mike, you know, it's, it's not the same. It's different to be adopted than it is to be flesh and blood. And I'm like, you know, you're right. And, and, I'll, and I'll get stopped on that point. And you've heard me say this before. Here's the thing. Flesh and blood, when that kid came out of mom, we had no say. We had no choice of what the kid looked like when they came or any of it. Guess what adoption is all about? Choice. They chose to bring a, a child into the family. They chose and selected, saying, we value you. We want you. Now, I'm not saying, parents, you didn't want your natural-born kids. Absolutely, you did. I'm not questioning that at all. Please don't take this metaphor somewhere it's not meant to go. But in the same way, God reached down and said, I'm bringing you in. I choose you. I love you. And I want you. And I will always want you. You're my chosen possession, my people, my love. Guys that that write a series of commentaries say this. They say the purpose of the church's intimate relationship with God is now set forth. And I'll put it this way. It is that we have, through the Son, the ability to proclaim His praise to all people. And we've come full circle. You see, when we understand that we are a living stone, a royal priesthood, a people chosen by God, that we are of royal descent because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, because God chose us, because we are part of his house that he has built here on earth to expect his return of the Son in all these things, we know that we are called as the church to be light in the darkness carrying on the mission Jesus started as his disciples, making disciples of all nations. The purpose of the intimate, the close, personal, familiar relationship we have with God through the Son is that we might proclaim his praise to all people. So, how does Peter flesh this out? Well, I'll tell you, he does it really simply. He says, every Christian has something to give because of what Christ has given us. Let me say that again. Every Christian has something to give. We talk about in in theological circles that at the moment of salvation, when you have come to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are given a new family, new birth, and the Holy Spirit in you. These are incontrovertible. You can't believe in Jesus and not have these. That's just how it works. And in so being given the Holy Spirit, we are gifted to build up his people. Who are his people? Everybody should raise their hand. We are his people. Okay, a few of you believe it. The rest of you, you should go listen to this podcast and get it right. Here's the deal. We are his people. We are called to build up the church. Why? so that the world can see light in this darkness. We don't need to have another argument about guns being bad. We get that. 
We need to show those broken people with struggling mental health, with wrong alliances, with wrong allegiances, and with wrong priorities that there is a better way. And that way is Jesus Christ who came to seek and to save those who are lost. How do we do that? Well, Peter says, I got you covered. If you turned in 1 Peter chapter 4, he reminds us that the end of all things is near. You think? Look around. We know this to be true. Therefore, we are to be alert and sober-minded. Offer hospitality to one another. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. It's really hard to be malicious towards someone that loves you, isn't it? Offer hospitality, and each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And then he goes on to give some examples. If anyone speaks, they should do so with the voice of God. If anyone can serve, they do so as his people, etc. Because of what God has given us, the grace we have received through Jesus Christ, we are called to use the abilities and the gifts we've been given to serve others. So how do we finish a truth like that? Well, we remind each other, not just Pastor Mike, but we remind each other, God wants you. You're his. Don't ever forget that. You cannot be snatched out of his hands. Remind each other of that. Our identity is not in our performance. It is in the performance that was done on our behalf through Jesus Christ. But as such, we are called to lovingly give and serve in every way we can. So we've got to ask some questions. Are we craving the living word? People know what we're hungry for. Ask anyone in our office, what does Mike eat for lunch just about every day of the week? Golly, guy. I go to Cafe de Coral. I don't even order anymore. They know what I'm getting. And they apologize to me when it's not in stack because they don't have chicken. By the way, that's curry chicken, and I know my Chinese is terrible. But they know I'm craving that every day. I'm a man of simple taste. Give me curry. But are we craving the very word that's living? Jesus Christ, the living word. Are we craving knowing him more deeply? And then, are we enjoying him together? There is a place for lament, and we should certainly be brokenhearted by the the events of the world that are happening all around us. But we should also be joy and life-giving to one another when we gather together. We mourn with those who mourn. When those among us suffer loss, we mourn with them. But we all should also give them life, saying this isn't there all there is. There is hope. And we're called as a church to be enjoying the very person of God together. Do we come in expecting that in church? Or do we come in just hoping for an air-conditioned room and some time to sit? Sometimes we do that. Do others know who we are? I mean, they might know your name. A movie came out a couple years ago that's a tough movie for dads to watch because it teaches us what a kid needs more than anything is time and quality time, and it's called The Lego Movie. And I don't know if you saw The Lego Movie if you're not a dad or, or you're not recently a kid, But in that movie, the main character finds out pretty quickly that nobody knows who he is because he didn't know who he was. He, He just followed the rules and was pretty much invisible. No one knew him to be anything but just a worker. 
And it wasn't until his identity became clear that he learned the valuable lesson that his identity wasn't wrapped in what he did, but in who he was on the inside. That's not so different for us in Christ. Who we are in our very heart overflows into how we treat others, overflows into how we live, overflows into how we act. And trust me, I need a lot of help with that. And so do all of us. That's why we need each other. That's why we're a people chosen by God, not a person. We're in it together. And then finally, this is my favorite. God blessed me with this wife that thinks an empty house is a worthless house so that we should be having people over on a very, 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 very regular basis. And that was a hard thing for me to get used to at first because when I'm home, I want to sit in my chair and watch TV and do nothing. That's relaxing to me. But I have learned that welcoming people into our home is a wonderful way to show people they are loved. And it allows us to have conversations that we don't get to have here, that we don't get to have at a loud cha-cha tang, that we don't get to have in other places, but that we do because we can welcome people in. And we say, you have value and we want to feed you. (laughs) And food helps. You wonder how to welcome people? Feed them. Always works in Hong Kong. Or just come over to our house. We'll feed you. Is that okay? I'm supposed to ask before I invite people over. So we do that. Here's my point. Are we the kind of church that people on the outside see that we crave the living word of God? They know that when they come in and they sit down, whoever's up here is going to talk about the word. Yes, we'll tell stories about ourselves. Yes, we'll talk about what we're learning and growing. But ultimately, it's always going to point us back to Jesus Christ. Are we that kind of people? Are people knowing that when we get here, we are excited to be here and excited to see each other? Or do we hide in our little sections and hope we don't have to talk to anybody? The joy of the Lord is my strength. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. There are millions of ways to say it, and the truth is always the same. When we are together, we can bring life into the darkness and light into the darkness and hope into the darkness. Do others know who we are? My name is a child of God. He picked me, and he wants you. Do people know that? And then do people know that they are welcomed? Yeah, we might not agree with all of their life decisions, but that does not mean we don't love them. We will walk with them as the Holy Spirit works in their heart. Even for Christians, there will be Christians that know they've chosen behaviors that are not according to the word of God. What's the hardest thing for a church to do? Let them know they're still of value. Their sin is not acceptable, but they are still loved and we will walk with them as they work through that. We are called to be a people that love people and let them know we will walk with you no matter where you are in your spiritual journey. But we don't expect you to stay where you are right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word that says we are a people that are adopted by you to be a community that shows your great name to the world, that proclaims you at the top of our lungs, to which we say, Amen. Let it be.